Welcome to Salt to Sugar, a podcast dedicated to helping you improve your mental health and find inner peace and fulfillment in the daily rat race. Author, addiction survivor, and spiritual leader Kelsey Peterson guides you on an introspective journey to help you heal and uncover your true purpose. And now your host, Kelsey Peterson. Hi, welcome to the Salt to Sugar podcast. I'm Kelsey Peterson, your host, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I am here with Ramsey Bergeron. Did I say that right? Yes. He is my very special guest today. Uh, Ramsey, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Ramsey helped me with the audio today. So this episode is going to be the first episode where I'm correctly using a microphone. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so I start, we did a mic test with my mics hooked up and, and Ramsey was like, um, I'm pretty sure that's just your iPhone audio. And I had it hooked up the same way I've always hooked up my, my mics. <laughs> These like $200 mics that I bought. Well, this is and, a learning lesson. And I'm like, no, no. And so we tested it out. We had the mics hooked up and like went to another space and like talked to the phone. And yeah, sure enough, it was just the phone picking up the audio. And that's how I've done the last 20 podcasts is no microphone. So here we are today with an actual mic setup. And so I'm super excited. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been setting up for like the last hour. <laughs> That's fine. It's a learning lesson. We we got to figure it out. Okay, but um, Ramsey, beyond his his technical skills, um, I wanted him on the podcast to talk about everything that he does regarding mindset. Um, I think it's going to be really. It, it's been helpful for me um, talking to Ramsey the last few weeks and getting to know him and what he does. Um, but I I think everyone's going to be able to take away a lot from his um, wisdom and insight and knowledge about mindset. Uh, Ramsey is a mindset coach and where do you typically, who do you coach usually like individuals, corporate settings? Like what is your, well, a little expertise? bit of both. So I, I help individuals cause that's, you know, when you, even if you think about a corporate setting, it's all made of people, right? So individual people. So I do keynote speeches to companies, but I also do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work and small group work as well. Oh, cool. Do you have a preference? Uh, it's different energy. Like I love talking to groups of people. But um, there's nothing more amazing than working one-on-one -on -one with someone and seeing the light bulb go off and helping them find a perspective or realize something that they didn't know before. Okay. Or, or looking at something that they knew, but in a new way that gives them more power. That's really fulfilling to be able to do that, too. Oh, that's so cool. How long do you usually work with individuals? Um, like, what's like, your program? Well, it, it, it varies. Generally, like a regular coaching session is 12 one-hour sessions. But I also do online classes, like small group classes, or it might be five people, uh, sometimes 10 in a small group setting. And then they, uh, depending on the class, some classes have a one-on-one -on -one component where every week they have a one-on-one -on -one check in versus a phone call. And some is just kind of more hot seat where we'll do it on Zoom or... Um, teams and then people will have insight that way too. Oh, cool. Um, that's so, that's nice. You do so many options. Um, we did a little session and I want to talk about that. Um, so you had sent me your initial, 
uh, intake kind of um, assessment. Yes. Your initial assessment to me, it's a bunch of questions. It only took about 10 minutes to do, 10 to 20 minutes. And, um, and it was different scenarios and how I respond. Um, and that was to give you an idea of my stress levels, my, my level of energy and stress and stuff, right? Yeah, so the assessment is called the Energy Leadership Index Assessment, and it's facilitated and created by IPEC, which is the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, and I'm a certified master practitioner of it. And what it does is it shows you your energy on a regular day and then how your energy shifts when you encounter stress because we're generally not the same person when we encounter stress, even though we think we might be. Um, And it shows us how that limits our ability to be able to show up and find solutions and connect with people in high stress situations. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so you're, you're talking to leaders mostly, right? It depends on the organization. I talk with leaders, but I also, sometimes the leaders will want me to talk with, uh, mm-hmm. well, let me back up. We're all leaders, right? Aww. We're, we're all yeah. leaders in, in some capacity in our life. And even if it's the ability to lead ourselves. That's true. So, um, I want to be, be, cautious and because some people think well I'm not a leader I don't need that I can't get any benefit from it but it's really helped uh, people of all different walks of life all different positions and um, it's about awareness okay yeah I well I really like that you said that because I I do think we are well we all should try try to be you know the best leaders we can be for ourselves and and our healing and everything um so I like that you said that corrected me on that um so the eli uh we we had a gosh we probably spoke for like an hour and that probably wasn't even enough on yeah on my assessment um kind of where i fell into these different energy levels um and gosh i you might remember more specifically about me (laughs) where i fell for those things but um but what was cool was i found it accurate (laughs) Like it seemed right, like like oh these are the types of situations and this is kind of how how your energy reacts to these situations. If that, am I describing it right? You are. So there's okay. there's different levels of energy that uh-huh. we we resonate at, and it's comprised of two different main kinds. One is catabolic, which is fight or flight mode, uh-huh. and then anabolic, which is constructive and building. Um, and it's not just one or the other. And both of these types of energy have a purpose, right? So like if I'm being chased by a bear or I'm in a, a situation where I'm seeing live fire, it makes sense for me to be in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is whenever it's like, oh my God, I didn't send this email out in time. I'm going to be in so much trouble. When we're in scenarios that, that aren't life and death, but we end up having catabolic energy, that might not necessarily be serving us. And it's preventing us from finding solutions in those situations. Um, so they're not, the catabolic's not inherently bad. Some people think it might be because like, well, I don't want to have fight or flight mode. It's like, well, yeah, you do if you're in a fight or flight situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the anabolic energy, there's different types of energy that show up. And I, your, your primary one, I looked at it right before you came oh, over nice. today, is um, level four, which is a bit more of a being of service level. Like it's putting other people's needs ahead of yours. But then there's also some judgment with level three involved in there too, mm-hmm. where it's helping people because we think that they need fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it may not necessarily be from a pure uh, being of service place. Sometimes it's because we're judging people. And that's okay. Again, this, this assessment's about awareness. It's not like you're bad for this. 
I'm glad Bodie's able to provide some comic relief here. This is Bodie. Yeah. I bug. forgot to introduce Bodie. If you're watching the podcast, you see the cutest little chihuahua in my lap right now. He's a chihuini. Chihuini. He's a chihuini. He's half dachshund. Yeah. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> um, okay. So, yes. Judgment um, and of service. Um, yeah. I And I, I see that a lot with... Um, well, I, sh- I see the judgment show up a lot for myself. Like, I... I have so much judgment for myself and that's where I, where I want to like heal a lot because I, I don't want people to think a certain way about me. Well, so. then that's actually your stress reaction and that's more catabolic mm. where level one is either overwhelmed or overloaded and there tends to be a strong correlation between someone who's level four in the top chart because you're helping other people and then uh, you, when you're stressed, you either feel overwhelmed because you're trying to help too many people mm-hmm. or if you didn't help them to what you thought could be the best of your ability or it didn't really, like you're like, oh, I thought I could help them more, then you shame or beat yourself up for it not being as, quote unquote, as good as you would have liked for it to be. Mm-hmm. So um, there tends to be a strong correlation between people that put other people's needs ahead of theirs mm-hmm. and either being overwhelmed or overloaded or guilty because you couldn't help more mm-hmm. or resentful and frustrated. It's like, I'm trying to help people, why can't they see I'm trying to help them? Um, and then there's even higher levels of energy, like level six, where it's more of a uh, flow state or connection. So you're helping people because you're on the same level. And that's a very different energy than putting their needs ahead of yours. Yeah. What does that look like, that flow state, just briefly? So flow state, if there's, if there's something you do for four hours and time can just go by and you mm-hmm. feel like I couldn't even, it didn't feel like a minute passed, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's the state of flow, if you've ever heard of flow state. And when you're helping people in that flow state, you're just connected. There's no, there's no motive of them not being good enough. It's just because you're, it's just because you're the same, and you want to help and, and connect. And so, whenever you have really collaborative efforts where you feel a part of a team, everyone's contributing. That tends to be level six, where you're in that state of being present in a creative atmosphere. That's level six. Is do you find yourself in the flow state when you're helping people? Often is that kind of like you feel that level of energy when you're helping people? Most most of the time, yes. Now, um, I think it's really important, and again, because this assessment's mainly about awareness. It's not good or bad where people Uh are, because, and like before I do a keynote or before I work with somebody, I really try to center and ground, because it can be easy to want to help from a place of ego, where I'm helping, look at me, and, and, Whenever I truly am in that flow state, it's truly about the connection and working as a team for them. I'm not, I'm not going in with a preconceived destination of where they should be by the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of just helping them figure out where do they want to be and just assisting. Okay. Um, how, if, if I'm at a level four usually and I want to be at a level Let's shoot for level one. What are what are kind of the ways that you help people achieve? I know you said it's about awareness, but yeah. obviously, after awareness, we want to deal with stress better and maybe not be in fight or flight all yeah. the time. So, like, what what are what are some of the ways? Obviously, not like you can't. Everybody's individual, so it probably changes. But yeah. I don't know. What's like some of the most helpful ways that you've um, found a to achieve, you know, improved energy levels? Um, 
Well, level one and two are catabolic, so I would never want someone intentionally to go from a four to one unless they're being or six, chased by sorry. Bear. I said it opposite. It's okay. I said it opposite. I meant if I was at a four and I wanted to be at a six, that's what I meant to say. So it, it comes down to awareness in the moment. Uh, and I know we've talked about the story of I was at a wedding eight or nine years ago and the bride went to cut this wedding cake and the venue didn't lock the legs of the table out all the way so the cake fell to the floor mm-hmm. and the bride started laughing. And then everyone in the room started laughing and that could have gone very different ways. The bride could have freaked out about losing yeah, the cake. Yeah, tell <laughs> when you first asked me, okay, if you were at a wedding um, and or I think you even asked if it was your wedding and, yeah. and the cake fell on the floor, what would you do? I was like, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> you go on to say that there's another option that you could laugh. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. So whatever. Very different. Well, but but that's okay. But but uh, but knowing that's your instinctual reaction is awesome. That's self awareness. And so what it boils down to is, um, whenever you're in a situation, have you ever have you ever been in a situation, Kelsey, and then you do something, and then you're later you you're like. That is not representative of who I am. I'm so sorry. I don't know who that person was. That was not me. Yes, I can think of many ugly examples. So that's because we're on autopilot. So that's called habit energy or monkey mind. So um, there's a Zen saying about a guy on a horse riding as fast as he can. And someone else says, where are you going? And the guy says, I don't know. Ask the horse. And that's how most of us live our life. Oh. Is we're just being drug along. We're not consciously aware mm-hmm. of how we're responding to situations. So the key, what, what the awareness really is, is the awareness in the moment. When something happens, when stimulus happens, creating space to decide how you want to respond versus automatically responding. So Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And there's a quote in that book, which is, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So what the awareness, the, the, the true awareness is if you know that in, situ, in that situation you would cry, then the real awareness is when you find yourself in those stressful situations, how do I stop? How do I pause to decide how I want to respond? And there are several different tools that I work with people on Uh, to be able to do that, it boils down to mindfulness. And so what do you think mindfulness is? Okay, mindfulness is the ability to stay present, I think. That's how I would think of it. But um, but I don't know if that's the right answer. That a thousand percent is the right answer. So to be mindfulness is to be present in everything you're doing. So like in in my presentation, I say, all right, which one of these is the most mindful? Washing a dish, having dinner with your family, meditating, doing a podcast, or going for a walk. Which is the most mindful? Mindful? Um, probably meditating. The answer is whichever you are doing in that moment. Oh, because, you tricked me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is, no, that's a good so, so is doing a podcast if, we, if, if we're like being accurate, like right now in this moment, right? And it's because we always think like, well, I'll be mindful I when. Love that. Well, once I get home and I can meditate, then I can be present. That's so good. Though. But the key is to be present yeah. in the moment that you're in. That's being present, truly yeah. being present. So when you're always waiting for the next situation or, well, I'll be better when. I'll be better when I can see a doctor. I'll be better when I'm in a relationship. I can be better when I have a house. I can be better when I have a better job. Then we don't realize we can just choose to be 
happy and present in this moment with what we have. And, and that's when in the situation and where when you meditate and you, you learn how to create that space, it's re- that really is what freedom is, is recognizing that you have free will, but we seed it 99% of the time. We just go on autopilot because it's, your brain wants to make things simple so that you don't have to think about it. You get up, you don't even think about it. You make your coffee, you check your phone. But what if you intentionally design how you want your morning to go and you're present with it instead? That's where, because at the end of your life, you're leaving a legacy either way. End of your life, they're going to write something about you. And if you've spent your whole life reacting from situation to situation, putting out fire after fire after fire, and you were never intentional, like when something happened, you never decided, okay, this is how I want to respond. This is what I want to do. Then your entire legacy is by design, not de- or sorry, it's by, de- by default, not design. Mm. So do you want to leave a legacy by design or by default? And the assessment and what I do in, in coaching people with their mindset is help them create that space to be able to live intentionally. Oh, it sounds lovely. <laughs> um, like I love, I loved when you were like, no, it's whatever you're doing. Like the most mindful thing is podcasting right now. Um, I, when you were speaking, I was, um, trying to apply it in my head in different situations, like where I feel the most fight or flight. Yeah. For instance, like that would be a time, you know, where I'd like to be more, um, mindful. Um, and that's, that has to do with a lot of times like relationships, like in any kind of relationship problem, friends, somebody I'm dating, um, family, like whatever it is. Um, and, and it's hard to, it's really hard to like change how you react because like we're used to reacting certain ways. Um, and so one of the things that I've like started do is try and pause and feel whatever I'm feeling and acknowledge it. So that's mine. That's, that's mindful. Right. Um, but then, but I don't, uh, people's, it seems like, it seems like it's hard to not, it's all fine and dating to, to, to recognize how I feel maybe. But then actually, like, my, my actions after that, it's, it's almost like, like, I didn't know that, there's, that you could laugh at cake falling on the floor. Yeah. You know? Like, so, I, and so, and we were talking about imagination earlier, and maybe it has to do more with, like, expanding imagination and what the other possibilities are, but it's hard to... Do you find that a lot with people? It's like they just, they don't know that there's another way. And like you help spell that out for them, like, or help them figure out different ways to respond. Am I making sense? You are making complete sense. Yes. So there's a couple of, if I want, I want to address a couple of things in what you shared. Perfect. Okay. So the first one is like, well, when you were talking about mindfulness, I was thinking about the different ways I could apply it. Mm -hmm. When you're doing that, whenever we think about when we can apply it later, then we're no longer mindful. Because now you're no longer in this moment. You're thinking about past or future moments. Yes. So I then you're not. So then. Do that. <laughs> so so it's challenging. So true mindfulness is hard. Uh-huh. Um, I, did, I did a ten day silent meditation course that helped teach me how. And still to this day, it's really challenging to be present in the moment. Um, but once you create the space and then deciding how you want to show up, this is where like like coaching is really helpful, because letting people know what well. well 
how would you want to respond? You know, or think about other stressful situations. Think about a time that you encounter a stressful situation, but you laughed about it and didn't let it bother you. How did you do that? And so it's by asking clients about other times where they may have had success in that, mm. just in a different scenario, how can you then apply to other things? And it's about creating space. And if you've been on autopilot for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, um, it's not easy to begin to process and view the world differently. I equate it to going to the gym. If you went to the gym one time and came home and you go, well, that didn't do anything. Like it takes more than once to exercise to really see the benefits of it. Mindfulness is the same thing, it's a practice. So by practicing it daily, you're able to develop that muscle memory of pausing before you react and respond. It's not inherently natural if you've never done it, especially in the Western world when everything's go, 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 we're judged on productivity, I have a job, I've got a mortgage, I've got a family, I've got pets or kids or whatever your scenario might be, um, we generally don't slow down enough to be present because we're always rushing to be prepared for the next thing and never here now. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking like, now this goes to like substance abuse kind of a little bit, but, um, well, a lot bit, but like the being present in pain really hard. And so I want to ask you like, what's it? I want to, I want you to share like a real life example of like going through something like hard and like, how did you use mindfulness to get through? Cause I'm honestly like here, like curious. Cause for me, and I think a lot of people, it, one of the worst things to do is sit in pain and uncomfortableness. Like, you know, want to escape it. Yeah. Um, and so like my first thought often still is like, I want to go get a drink. Yeah. I want to go buy liquor. I don't want to feel the same. Um, and so I come up with all these different positive coping skills that to do instead, like go get a massage, um, go take the dogs out, uh, hang out with a friend. Uh, those are like probably my top three choices right there. Um, where I try and do those things instead. I don't know if getting a massage is mindfulness because it, I call it my getting drunk nights when I go get massages because I feel like kind of at another level, like of relaxed. Yeah. So like ever since I got sober, I call my, my massage nights getting drunk nights. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that's mindfulness. Um, that's just helping me not drink. Right. Um, and then connecting with people, obviously, that's a really easy way to, to be present. Um, what, are some, what are some of the tools that, that you see most like effective for people or yourself? Yeah. Um, if you have a good example of like some, something that like a hard thing came up and you like want to go into fight or fight mode, but then you used your like mindfulness skills. So I guess, yeah, thank you, and a lot of great questions there. I, yeah. I want to give your audience a little background about me. Right, I know. So, I have so, which, which well, there, you have such an eclectic like <laughs> past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give a little background and then answer my question. <laughs> so I, you know, I was, um, my, my parents the United Nations. I was born overseas. And uh, my dad was Christian, Catholic. My mom was Muslim. Uh, my dad was, had a lot of demons. And he was pretty emotionally abusive and physically abusive. By the time I was 12 years old, he had had both feet amputated from gangrene. He had gone blind. He was on dialysis three times a week. And he, he died when I was 12 years old. Um, my mom didn't believe in therapy. Never believed really in any type of that. And she, she fought in a war, you know. And, and she never believed in any therapy or, or anything like that. 
Um, I, I dedicated my life to my physical well-being. I didn't want to die early, like my dad was in his 50s, so I became a personal trainer. I've done eight full-distance Ironman triathlons, and um, I really poured myself into my physicality, but I was neglecting my mental and emotional health for so much of my life. As a teenager, I was punching holes in the walls of my mom's house, headbutting things, smashing glasses against my head. I didn't know what feelings were. I didn't know how to express them. I didn't know... I didn't know anything. I had no emotional intelligence and nor did I have a male role model really around to help me. I was in Boy Scouts, which I highly credit for helping me develop some leadership skills at an early age. Um, But other than that, no. I had a male teacher in high school who abused me. So I really didn't have any male guidance or or role models for life. So it was by the time I was um, in my mid-30s, I started recognizing I've got to do something. Something's got to change. And I was doing an Ironman in Norway, and my tire exploded at mile 70, and my race was done. And I spent three hours by the side of the road waiting for someone to pick me up. And uh, that taught me a lot about what's within my control. Like, all right, nothing's within my control, um, other than how I respond or react. And so I started understanding, huh, maybe there's a different way to look at life. And I went to do, anyway, I have, you're right, I have a whole other, I can do a whole three episodes on my, my backstory. However, Aww. with that childhood, I didn't know how to handle emotions or at all. So as an adult, I had to, I learned the tools through decades of therapy um, and just doing the work on myself. Well, my, best, my best friend passed away in 2020 uh, due to alcoholism. He drank himself to death. His internal organs shut down. He was in a coma for over a month. And I was with him when he passed away. I held his hand for the last five hours of his life. And it was at that moment that I said, I want to be able to help people in a more profound way so they don't have to suffer the same fate. And so that's when I really went back to become a coach. Uh, I had already been a personal trainer for, for 15 years, uh, but I want to help people in a more profound way. And so with that backstory, um, I'll share some times in my life that I have used the tools to be able to help me in those situations. Um, I'll share two different examples because... Pain serves a purpose in our life. Pain, pain sends the signal meaning something needs to change. And when we view pain as something that we don't want, then we're not necessarily listening to the message. So I was doing a presentation on the big island of Hawaii April of last year, April of, was it two years ago now? Time, time flies. Um, but I was there, I'm like, hell, I'm in Hawaii, let's stay for a little bit. So my fourth day there, I was supposed to be there two weeks, my fourth day there, I got a kidney stone. So I ended up in the emergency room in Kona. On the way there, um, I'm driving to the emergency room, doubled over the center console in extreme pain. And one of the things I learned at the meditation center that I went to was 10 days of silent, like 10 days of no speaking, no eye contact, no music, no exercise, just 100 hours of meditation. And one of the things you learn is that all suffering in your life is caused by one of three things. Either clinging or craving, like, oh, I want that, I want to feel more of that. Hatred or aversion, ooh, I don't like that, I don't want to feel that, or ignorance. And when you realize, when you have pain in your body, it's not your pain, it's just pain. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this is my pain, it hurts so bad. It, it's, it, whenever, you, whenever you view it as your pain, you, 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 it hurts more. But it's just pain. And if, I'm like, okay, I can either be angry and have a kidney stone, or I can just have a kidney stone. And just observe it. All right, it's pain. One of two things is going to happen. Any pain you have, one of two things is going to happen. It will either kill me or it will pass. That's it. The end of the day. 
And so when I'm like, all right, right now it's here, right now, all right, where does it start? And I view it objectively. And so when we view life with curiosity, like, oh, okay, where is this pain? Where, where really is it within me? It detaches it from me. Oh, this is happening to me. I feel mm-hmm. so much. In, it's just a pain that I happen to be experiencing, right? It's just an experience. Wow. Oh, oh my gosh. It, that so aligns with, with some of my beliefs about, like, for instance, like, I'll, I'll, I'll identify with certain disorders and stuff to help other people maybe who can relate, who might, might want similar treatment as I got. So like, for instance, in my book, it was the first time I ever like told anybody outside a psychiatrist or therapist that I have borderline personality disorder, but like, I don't like saying I'm borderline. Sometimes it slips out, but I try really hard to like, not say like I am a certain thing because I don't think that like I... I struggle with eating disorder. I, I'm not anorexic or like, I'm not bulimic. I like, I struggle or like, I don't know, but like the, the way, the way I try and like say what I struggle or the pain, the certain pain that I, that I deal with, I try really hard to not make it part of my identity because it's, it's not me. Like I, I believe I'm, my, my soul is perfect exactly how God created it. And, and that there's certain things that happen in this world that that cause breaking or damage or whatever but like but that's not me um and and it's not it's not my pain yeah it's it is just pain I've never thought but I've never thought about just like pain like that I've thought about like disorders like that and um and like stuff like that but I really I really like how you said that I'm actually gonna try I'm gonna next time which will probably be like later today and that I'm in pain <laughs> I'm gonna think I'm gonna try it really hard and think about this is just pain it's not my pain and well, observe it yeah well that's physical pain I haven't gotten to the emotional aspect really because emotional it feel, really it's different it's it feels like different. it could be the same so see look at me don't listen no, to me everyone no 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 it's okay <laughs> you're right though because but it, it, it's similar it's very okay, similar okay okay um, you know, but it, you, you, you mentioned another point. That I'm like, oh, I wish I would have written that down because I wanted to come back to, to, to circle back to it. Um, oh, when it comes to labels, okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm very big on not assigning labels to people mm-hmm. um, because they say that the scholar spends their whole life learning and the enlightened man spends their whole life unlearning. Uh-huh. It's a matter of removing the labels that are placed on you because then you think you have that's your that becomes your identity yeah. and you cease to be who you are mm-hmm. right so like even before you're born your parents are like this is your name this is your religion we like these people we hate these people this is your nationality and go so you already have this preconceived notion of who you are who you don't like who you don't want to be like um and part of what i like to do is, is help people begin to ask questions like well is that who you are and so when you're talking about pain and your pain i teach a class on radical acceptance um, which it's like, so at the end of the day, what do you own? And so like, because we get so attached to things, mm-hmm. right? Like if we had two iPhones on the table with no, with no cases on and we didn't know which one was yours or mine. And if one fell on the fo- floor and broke, you would be freaked out. But when you discovered mine, all of a sudden the anxiety would leave you. So why do you, why do we look at things as extensions of us? And the same thing applies to our body. Like if I'm in a car wreck and God forbid they have to remove my arm, and I'm telling them, no, that's my arm. You can't remove it. Like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It has to go. So when we get attached to things and we, rec- we don't recognize the impermanence in everything, that causes us suffering. 
but that's we can I can go down that rabbit hole too. Oh, that's a that's so, a good rabbit hole. Well, but then it talks about like there's a concept called the glass is already broken, which I have a I have it on my Instagram page or in uh, TikTok where like I had a dog that crossed the rainbow bridge, and I guess maybe this ties into emotional pain. Um, back in March, my yeah, dog crossed the rainbow bridge. It was really painful for me, but there's a concept called the glass is already broken. And the, the story goes, someone went to the Zen master and says, how can you find happiness in a world where things don't last? And the Zen master says, well, this is my glass. I love this glass. It holds my water. It glistens in the sun. One day, the wind will knock this glass from the table or I'll, or I'll knock it off the table with my arm. The glass is going to break no matter what. But right now it's here. So knowing that it will break or disappear one day means that right now I will treat it with respect and reverence knowing that it won't always be here. And so when you look at things in your life like that, like whether it's people or pets or children or parents, that, well, they will be gone, but right now it's here. You can either look at that and be sad, like, you know, my ex-wife, we had an older Jack Russell, and she would cry a lot because, like, well, he's getting older, he's not going to be around. And I'm like, well, but he's here now. Like, why don't we just enjoy him while he's here? We can be sad later. So... Doing that allows you to be present with what you have, knowing that it won't always be here instead of that the ego is what hurts when something that we loved is no longer with us. It was always going to be separated from us. That's a, that's a universal law that everything changes. But we want things, it's not change that causes the suffering, it's wanting things to be the same when they're not. And so understanding that it's, it's, my, it's my attachment to, no, 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 I want this. I want this to always be here. I want my puppy to always be young forever. Well, he won't be. So I will love him right now when he's young. I will love him when he's old. And then when he's no longer here, I will love the memory of him. So emotional pain. I was, my, my first relationship after my divorce was a very toxic relationship with someone I should not have been in a relationship with. And um, I didn't know what love bombing was at the time. She convinced me that we were soulmates. And a month and a half in, two months in, I found her cheating on me. Caught her cheating on me. And I was pretty devastated at that point. So I remember being in a ball, crying just on my floor in my office. Like I'd never cried like that before. Um, And I had, before that, I'd said, well, and there's two sides of this coin here. Um, one is the masculine energy of feelings are just feelings, they're just energy. And so I've learned like, okay, where's the feeling within my body? Learning to feel it. But I never let my, I didn't let myself feel the feeling. And so I had to let myself feel the feeling and ball to let it out. But it's when I would shame myself and say, don't feel, don't be sad. Don't feel this. You should be stronger than this. And whenever a client uses the word should, I say, don't should on yourself. You simply are where you are. <laughs> should is could with shame attached. So when, you're, when you have a feeling or an emotion that you don't want to feel, um, then you're delaying the inevitable suffering. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, can, I, can I give you an example of an yeah, experiment with clients? Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm gonna, okay, Kelsey, I'm going to have you just think about for a moment emotions that you felt in the last two months and I'm put them into three categories good neutral and bad okay okay so i know since we're doing a podcast we don't want people to pause like or maybe you can edit this a little bit out i don't okay. know if i'm i don't, I don't make you edit your video okay but so, everybody everybody writes good neutral or bad make three columns and good then, neutral bad okay, okay. and this is a, this is a concept that i teach in my radical i, I teach a class on emotional intelligence okay. and this is one of the things this is good class. everyone do this i wish i had a notepad on me right now <laughs> I no worries um here so you can use my phone if you want so just um 
or just think it since we're live. Okay. You know, okay. we're, we're okay. Doing okay. so think we're about live. <laughs> do it live. So do think live. about and for those of you listening, maybe pause it here and make those three comments. That's good. Pause. Okay, pause. Okay, now play. And play. All right, have you done it? Okay, cool. So when you look at your list, Kelsey, and if you haven't done it, pause. I'm serious. Pause. Okay, we're back. So, okay, so what is a if you were to just think for what's a bad emotion you felt in the last two months? Um. Uh, oh my gosh! Just, think uh, for, just, no, no, just take a moment and think. resentful. Resent resentment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So has being resentful of something that you've, has that ever served you? Has being resentful ever forced you to maybe set a new boundary or not be as giving to protect your energy? I'm sure it's helped me see I need to like work on it. Like there's something I need to address. Okay, so resent so resentment has shown you there's something you need to address. Whether it's yeah. like, you know what, I'm overextending, I you know, I'm resentful and it's because of my actions. Could be a possibility, right? Or I'm resentful because like, you know what? I, I've been get too giving to this person, they're not appreciative of it. I'm not I'm gonna pull back a little bit because they're not meeting me in the middle. Like sometimes in a relationship we could be resentful. The other person's not showing us the same affection or, or connection that we would show them. Mm-hmm. And so we've learned, okay, maybe this isn't the relationship for me. So could you see a scenario where resentment might benefit you? Can I give you my specific resentment? Sure. Okay. Because if you can help me with this, that would be amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I've been having... Okay, also this leads into like a little bit of parts work conversation because after I realized or after I learned that you know what parts work is I was like oh my gosh I want to talk about parts work in the podcast because uh, I haven't really talked about it on here um, we have like four episodes I'm sure I we'll know come back. We'll I come know back for parts work. if we if we get a chance to maybe just dabble in it but I just want to describe what parts work is it's like you, part of you um, breaks off at a certain age from a trauma traumatic experience or something um, or just a bad experience or whatever it it, it broke, broke off and learned how to survive in that scenario and then didn't kind of grow up with you so it kind of stays that age stays in that way of protecting you and um and and parts work is learning how to reintegrate it and find good ways for it to stay with you and and become back into your whole soul um and and I've been struggling with the six-year-old's part of me over the last like week because of the last episode I did. I'm um, talking about where my food stuff came from, um, and I've been and I've been acting kind of like a six-year-old to my mother. Um, and I and I I'm aware of what's happened after I after I say something t- to her get or get angry at her for um, for like. She, oh, I, I got to go. I got to call you back. You know, we're on the phone and she's got to call me back. Normally it's like, okay, talk to you later. But I'll feel like this anger at her. Like she doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't like, she's, she doesn't she, like, like she's not here for me <laughs> because there's this like six year old of me screaming, like, like protect me, protect me. You know, like I want my mom to protect me. And when I was six I, I unfortunately like something terrible happened to me where I now hold a resentment to my parents and I don't want to it doesn't rationally make sense to me but that part that six-year-old has not been integrated in so I feel all this resentment towards my parents for something they had no control over like it basically um a family friend um 
sexually assaulted me and I, you know, and, and now I have this anger at my parents for not protecting me. Mm. Um, and it's, and because I'm dealing with all this food restricting stuff, that six year old part of me is ever present. Like I feel like a six year old multiple times a day for the last week. (laughs) And so the resentment doesn't feel like I'm aware of it. I have the awareness, but I like, how do I be mindful with it? How do I, and I'm sharing all this because I think, I think it, it's so, it makes so much sense when you're saying it and it sounds so great and I want it, but I'm like, how do you apply it? Like, sure. where does it fit? So, so thank you for sharing that. And yeah. you know, um, I've, I've learned to stop, you know, that, that I will say that shouldn't have happened to you, mm-hmm. you know, what, what did happen to you. But I always tell people that would you be helping people and being of service today had that not happened to you? No. And so whenever we whenever we look back at things and say this, I wish this was different, or mm-hmm. we have, because um, when I teach classes on radical acceptance, that's a hard thing for people to grasp. So like, mm-hmm. situations are neutral, and and it's if you still allow that memory to to have influence over you now, um, there's a difference between victimized and victim mentality. Mm-hmm. You are victimized. It's your choice whether to move forward with a victimhood mentality. And and when we have resentment, that's telling us there's something here that to to look at and explore. Yeah. So, if you didn't have if and and first off, I, I commend you for understanding that there's a level beneath anger. And Eckhart Tolle says wherever there's anger, there's always pain underneath. Anger is not a default um, emotion. It's either fear or betrayal or embarrassment or hurt or resentment. Um, so let's say that let's talk about the resentment that you're that you're feeling towards your parents, right? It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like that's pointing you to work through what happened when you were six. Yes. So is the resentment serving a purpose? Oh, look at that! Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> yes. That's so is great. it fair to label it as a bad emotion? <laughs> Um, no, as long as I do something, as long as I make a change. Because it creates, because it's created awareness for you, right? So we're going to move that from bad to neutral. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So what's a good emotion you've had in the last two months? In the last two months, um, uh, my best friend wants to stay in Arizona and like buy a house here and stay here and not go back to Portland. So what's the emotion? Joy. Joy. Excitement. Has, okay, excitement. Love. <laughs> has, has being excited or in love ever led you to do something you regretted? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is it fair to label those as good emotions? Oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> those are my favorite emotions. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Why? What because, don't you like? Because because I love feeling I love I love feeling like all those like good emotions. Like and, I, I ride big waves, and okay. so I when I when I drop down, I'm like I can't wait to be up again, and I get and then when I'm up, I'm like yeah. So I I, I feel most present. you want more of that. Yeah. So here's the thing: every emotion you've ever felt will pass, mm-hmm. and when you make your goal an emotion that's impermanent and transient, you will always feel let down. Okay, yeah. Yes. So when you're, you know, when you're bad, they say this too shall pass. Uh-huh. Try saying it when things are good also. Oh, that's tough. That's literally my mantra for bad times. Well, but... but <laughs> this too shall pass. So, so trying to say it on a good thing. That, every, that's good though. And here's why. So 
Yeah. Every emotion that you feel mm-hmm. is not good nor bad. It's neutral. Oh. You've assigned, I don't want to feel resentment instead of listening to the message that emotion is trying to teach you. So when, you label mm-hmm. an, when, you, when you've labeled the emotion, I don't want this, you're causing your own suffering. An emotion is just an emotion. Mm-hmm. You're Kelsey. You're not resentful. You're feeling resentment. Oh. Good. Yes. And I'm not, wait, how would you say it with like excitement or joy? I'm not excited. I'm Kelsey. I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling excited. Yeah. And every emotion you have will pass. It's a mo, it's a matter of being present with the emotion and understanding one, what's the message is trying to teach you and two, understanding that it is also the glass that's already broken. Okay. That was a cool exercise. Like, I, like you're seriously like shifting. I, I really think we're going to take away a lot from this podcast, so I hope the listeners do too. I'm really excited about it. It's already so good. Um, but is a lot of the work you do with identity then? Because I feel like that's the next step. Like, it, like where I'm, I'm trying to think about like listeners and, like, and, and myself and kind of like where I would have issues with saying such a thing as I'm not, I am not, Joy, I'm feeling joy. Or, or I'm Kelsey, I'm feeling joy. That's what it was. Okay. Um, then I would have to know something that I struggled with for quite some time after I relapsed was, I don't think hearing you say that would have helped me very much because I would have gotten angry about <laughs> you saying, I am Kelsey, or having me say I am Kelsey because I'm like, who the hell is Kelsey? That's okay if you don't know. So you one, can one, still do that. One of the you other things, still, one of the, oh, so it depends. I'll, I help, so the reason this resonates right now is because I can understand the level of understanding and awareness that you're at, and so I can speak to it in a way that you resonate it with. Okay. Depending on where someone is, there's different levels of conversation that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you said earlier about like um, finding out who you are mm-hmm. um, and feeling complete, like with an eating disorder and things like that. Uh, I always tell people that um, the, the, your best self, the whole complete Kelsey is already within you. Mm-hmm. And like when people ask Michelangelo, how did you see the statue of David in that marble? He said, well, the statue's always there. I'm just removing the pieces that aren't David. So when you're talking about um, labels and eating disorders and things like that, I, I prefer to view it a little differently. It's, it's, you developed maladaptive coping mechanisms to survive based on the situations you were in. Mm-hmm. They don't serve you anymore. Mm-hmm. And so instead of using labels and saying, this is the label that you are, right. when you're like, well, it's just a maladaptive thing. So like, I've, I've been involved and helped people in 12-step programs. And I've never liked the term, I'm an alcoholic or I am this. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm a recovering or I'm a trauma survivor. You know, I, I'm a, and I like using framing that because it's not defining who you are in this moment. It de- maybe maybe who you were in the past, but right now, in this moment, and and, and that's the thing with, with neurolinguistic programming. The story we tell ourselves determines our reality. Reality doesn't determine our reality. Have we talked about neurolinguistic? We haven't yet. But that's so crazy because my best friend that I literally talked about wanting to stay here was telling me about it for the NLP. Time. Yeah, NLP yeah. is very. It's the words you use create your reality. And it's a story you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I could sit here and say, well, my dad died from diabetes when I was in my 50s. It runs in my family. I can't stay in shape. I could easily tell myself that story. But what I have something called, um, what, what time were we at? Oh, you're good. Keep okay. going. All right. 49 minutes. And you, got, you might edit yeah. some stuff too. 
whatever. It's, it might not all be gold. It um, is. So this is all gold. There's a couple it. of things that I, I have a couple of different techniques people can use to reframe their story mm-hmm. in a different way. One is the 4R technique. Um, recall, recognize, remove, and reframe. So recall a story from your life. Okay. Recognize your, your level of, that you're viewing it through, which I know we did with the Ooh, ELI. Recognize okay. the level. All right. Mm-hmm. Remove judgment. All right. So what was I judging the situation as good or bad sim- other than the situation simply is? Okay. And then reframe it. How can I look at it differently? Okay. Right. So when you're talking about emotional pain, right, like reframing things from your childhood, I'm resentful of my parents. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is the scenario. All right. So let's remove the judgment. And reframe it. So what right now the level that, that I'm hearing, because you're like, they they should have protected me, that's very level two. You versus them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As a and again, I don't know the specifics of your your scenario. And this is something that we could we could dive into outside of the world of a podcast too if you wanted to. <laughs> but but looking at it like, okay, in this moment, what are you because because it's one thing to relive that feeling, but in this moment, what can you do to view it differently to give yourself permission? To not let those quote-unquote negative emotions own you. Well, here's the challenge for me and what you're saying. I can do all that with my rational, like... Higher mind? Higher, Yes, thank you. With my higher mind. Like, I absolutely do not want to feel resentment towards my parents. I love them to death. They love me to death. They did so... Like, I don't want to feel any resentment. Things happen. Not their fault. Like... You know, it, it, good came out of it, you know, like all these things, but the, the, that little six-year-old just comes out and like, so, <laughs> so if I were to say, Kelsey, don't think of the pink elephant, what do you do? Think of the pink elephant. So when you say, don't be resentful, don't be resentful, you're, you're putting the word resentful in your mind. Mm-hmm. The, the subconscious doesn't understand negatives. Mm. So when you're telling yourself not to have a feeling, you're mm-hmm. reinforcing the feeling. It's like when someone says, don't be angry. You know, or calm down. Those mm-hmm. things don't work. So what I encourage my class to do is, like, all right, well, let's think of the green giraffe. So I know you were talking about like your massages, right, being uh-huh. your drinking days. And we can talk uh-huh. about distractions and actions and the difference between self-care versus selfish and like where self-care is so important. But when we're talking about the green giraffe. When you, instead of saying don't be resentful, explore the resentment. Yeah. It's like, all right, the six-year-old's resentful. Why are you resentful? What do you feel they could have done different? Like, oh. have that inner dialogue to give that, that resentment a yeah. voice. that's good. And work through it. Do the actual parts work that I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> have yeah. that dialogue. Because that's true. Like, I had a therapist doing parts work, and I'd have to write letters back and forth yeah. from the six-year-old to me, to six-year-old, or 16, or whatever age yeah. my part was. Um, and that's something I didn't even consider doing in the scenario. <laughs> and that's okay. And again, to so give funny. yourself grace and not shame yourself yeah. when you're aware that you're in a catabolic state. Yeah. And, and something that I would encourage you to do is instead of um, going back in your mind to the six-year-old you, mm-hmm. bring six-year-old you to the now. Because mm-hmm. then you're not reliving a traumatic memory. You're saying, yeah. look at where I'm at now. You're safe now. And so bringing that wounded part of you to this, because otherwise if you go back and you're replaying the movie in your mind of that, you're no longer objective. So you bring six-year-old Kelsey to the, to the modern present room you're in and mm-hmm. you're in a safe place. Yeah, and, and we were talking about doing that earlier and like what are the, some of the positives from that six-year-old and I don't really, 
I don't think I want to like well, go give down it, too giving it a new job, that. giving the yeah. six year old a new job, yeah. right? Because that energy is always going to be within you, and that's something we can we can we can you know dive into later. But yeah. but um, another technique to help reframe uh-huh. negative things, yeah. I call it the just effort method. <laughs> uh, it's it's. I think I like this method. What yeah, is it? it's it's essentially four F's that you oh. use in situations. So. Um, yeah, it's not that. So, but uh, again, it's just a play on words. So the first two Fs are facts and feelings. Okay. What are the facts in the situation and what are the feelings? Okay. Okay. And once you've listed those out, the third F is flip it. Well, what if you felt a different way about it? So for me, last year, um, I was in another relationship that um, thought I was going to be a daddy. We lost a pregnancy. Okay, and she had, there was a lot of other complications I will get into, but I was really heartbroken about it. And I remember being so sad, and then I remember like, well, what if I wasn't? What if, what if I was okay with it, I was accepted, and I moved on? Huh. Wow. And that created just enough space between me and the emotion to allow me to see daylight. And I'm like, okay, well then I, would, I guess I'll be hanging out with my friends today. And it gave just me permission to think about it in a different way, so Whoa. just flip it. Just asking yourself, what have you felt about it a different way? Why does that seem so profound for some reason? Right, because we get stuck. We get stuck in the story of this is the feeling. And that's why NLP is so important. It's like, well, tell yourself a different fucking story. You have permission. Sorry, am I allowed to cuss on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I cuss on your podcast. The fourth F (laughs) is future. What would 80 year old you tell you to do in that situation? And that allows you to tap into the wisest version of yourself. Love that. And so those are the four F's, fact, feeling, flip it, and future to, to really get new perspective. And if you go to my website, which is bergeronwellbeing.com, if you sign up for my email list, you can get my free ebook, Just F It, which really details and lists this out. Oh, cool. Okay. I hope everyone does that. Say that again. Bergeron Wellbeing. It's uh-huh. B-E-R-G-E-R-O-N, wellbeing.com. I'll write it out on the yeah. thing too, on the bio. And then there's, on, on the landing page, there's a place where you can sign up for my email list, and then you can download the, the free PDF ebook of Just F It. That's so cool. And then really quick, um, I, oh man, there was something I wanted to say um, that I that I feel like I didn't really get to touch on about the energy level things, but just that, and, and that you emphasized when we met before the podcast about it, but that it's really about like how we react to stress. Maybe I said that, but like, but I was in rehab when I learned about stress being, um, like deadly for you. If that's how you perceive it to be. Um, if that's what you're, believing about stress but that stress can actually be really good for you if that's how you're thinking about it and just to kind of like loop back to the beginning of the ELI stuff um I just I like that's basically what your what your program is doing is teaching people to perceive their stress differently um right or 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 just oh sorry I don't want to butcher butcher what you do I I know I said that wrong it's okay but but it's 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 like not perceiving stress as something bad, it just is, and and stress can help you cha- make changes, right? I mean, that's yes. So that's, it can be good. So let me define stress. Okay. If you're if you're watching, this will be easier. But like if if you're if you're listening, it might be a little different. So I'll kind okay. of explain. So if I'm holding up two hands, okay, and one hand, this is reality. This is what's going on that I don't want to uh-huh. happen or think should be happening. This hand is what I want to happen. This is what I want to happen. The gap between the two hands, that's all stress is. Stress is the gap between reality 
and what I think should happen or what I want to happen. And the sooner I can let go of my expectations and move to reality, there's no more stress. So stress is essentially something you're not expecting. It's a surprise. If you don't allow it to bring you to a catabolic state, I can say, okay, what can I learn from this? And that's where stress can benefit you if you're, if you're seeing what can I learn about the situation, be it how can I view it differently next time, what am I learning about people, what procedures can I put in place. That is utilizing change for the betterment of yourself in the world. But if you view it as, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed or I'm going to die, then you're no longer solving problems. You're allowing that stress to put you in a catabolic place and you can't find solutions. And that's what the assessment measures. Yeah. Is are you going to a catabolic place where you're no longer capable of finding solutions or are you able to say, all right, I'm going to remain calm. What can I learn? Yeah. So your work is bringing the hands together. Yeah. Bringing the hands together. Yeah. I love finding that. Solutions. Oh my gosh. It is so cool. And you're so good at it and it's like because I, I was trying to throw you questions that like I couldn't answer for myself <laughs> and you answered them so simply and obviously <laughs> well I'm very impressed I think you're awesome well thank you and and uh, it, it, with awareness and whenever I, I do the assessment with people or, or help clients mm-hmm. I it's so funny people are like well I already knew that I don't tell people a lot of what they don't know it's I tell people it's not what you think it's how you think Mm-hmm. And so I help people just think a little differently mm-hmm. um, and don't beat yourself up for not knowing what you didn't know when you didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll do the assessment. People are like, oh, I have so much catabolic energy. I'm so stupid. I'm like, well, that's just more catabolic energy. <laughs> so the awareness that you're catabolic, you now have choice to say. So I was a personal trainer for years. And so let's say somebody came in with body fat that was 35%. Uh-huh. I'm like, here are your options. You need to say, Oh my God, this is hopeless. Why even try? Why bother? Or this is simply where I'm at. What do, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? And so I encourage anyone listening, instead of shaming yourself that you're not where you want to be, acknowledge where you are. And, and acceptance. So awareness is the first step towards enlightenment or, or, or fulfillment. Uh-huh. The second step is acceptance. Uh-huh. Accept where you are. Accept how you feel. Accept how you look. Accept where you are in your life. Uh-huh. And then, well, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's only because of labels and what we're told I should be. Uh Once once we're present, if you're truly present, Mm -hmm. you're accepting where you are in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that's where peace and happiness is. You know, it's like, it's a whole happiness is the death, is the journey. Like Mm -hmm. in this moment, there's nothing preventing you from finding peace and happiness because there's nothing missing. Mm -hmm. And we're always running around trying to feel different Mm -hmm. or find the next thing because I don't want to feel this. And so for a lot of people that grew up with traumatic childhoods like you and I, peace feels boring. And so we want chaos because when it's like, oh, now I feel alive. Mm -hmm. But the reality is learning to just be is happiness and fulfillment but it's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want that because we're not used to it. We want our heart to be racing and pounding because that's what growing up was. Mm-hmm. And learning that, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And so some people turn to addiction for that because they just want the feeling. Instead of realizing that it's, it's readjusting the baseline. And that's uncomfortable, but that's okay. So good. I kind of want to end on that because it was so... 
that was just really good. Thanks. I think that was, um, this whole podcast was like such a good reminder for me and also a new way to look at things for me. Um, I'm definitely going to think, what if I wasn't scared? How would I feel like yeah. for right now? Like, cause I'm feeling, or what if I didn't feel resentment? What would I feel? I don't know. I just, I, I'm just going to think about that and, and also maybe do some like parts work. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but no, just, um, I, I think what you do is so important and so cool that you're so good at it. How long have you been doing it for? It feels like many lifetimes, yeah. but, uh, like officially I've been doing, I've been doing this only as a coach for three uh, years, Oh my gosh. but most of my job beforehand as a trainer was coaching yeah. because everyone knows they need to eat better and move more, yeah. but they're not. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, like, well, how do I get in shape? I'm like, eat better and move more. Well, really? Well, I'm like, eat better, move more. And if they couldn't figure out why, I said, well, let's figure out why. What's, yeah. And getting clarity about, well, what, is, what does eat better even or eat uh-huh. less even mean? Uh-huh. And so help people understand. Like, it's like, well, I want to I wanna be happy. All right, what does happiness mean to you? I want to be successful. What does that mean? What does success mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I want love. What does love mean to you? So helping people get clear and understand what their values are. So to your point about like helping people find out, is, is it a thing of identity? Um, I help people with, I have a, a coaching program called Mission Vision Values. Like, okay, you work for a company. They have a mission statement. They have values. Mm-hmm. What are yours? Yeah. So, so many of us are like, well, all right, when, have you ever written down your values? Mm-hmm. And are they in alignment? And what is your mission on earth? Mm-hmm. I teach a class called Living with Purpose. Like, all right, you want to have purpose. What does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, how do you want your day to look like? And so just helping people not just drift through life, but have meaning and fulfillment so and not get to right. the end of their life because everyone on their deathbed, the biggest regret is, I didn't do the things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Well, let's help you do those things before so that you're not filled with regrets at the end of your life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like we need to do a podcast on each one of those courses that you taught, that you teach. Cause like, that's a big, when I was telling you what salt to sugar is and like how it was this like method that I came up with on the things that helped me the most through my, um, difficult time of anxiety, depression, relapse, like all that. It was, um, it purpose is like one of the four main components in that. And, um, and it's just huge. Yeah. Identity, purpose, all that. So, um, but it all kind of goes back to being present and just learning what that, how to do that. And um, especially when hard things come up. That's why I, I, I'm always trying to apply like these things for the hard time. Like, like it's so much easier. It's, it's easy to be present during a podcast. It feels great. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it's easy. But What if it wasn't a hard time? Right, and then there you go again. <laughs> well, right, no, I need to do that. Because what, if, what, what, if, what, what makes it... What, was, because I'm judging it as hard. Yes, what makes it a hard time is, Ugh, well, this Ramsey, is what I want it to be. You're but, getting me good on here. I love it. Oh my gosh. All that's making it a hard time is you telling <laughs> yourself the story. Yeah. It's a hard time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just a story. I'm like excited by how much you're like blowing my mind right now. Um I, I'm sure I'm sure you're blowing everyone's mind who's listening to this podcast. Um, so if if anybody wants to find you, um, you can do that at bergeronwellbeing.com. B e r g e r o n wellbeing.com. I'm also on 
Um, Instagram, TikTok, you know, Ramsey Bergeron, I think all one word on both of those. And yeah, just And I'm going to write his um, Instagram. I'll probably have to text you for what your TikTok is. I have a TikTok and I like never use it because you have to post twice and it's... No worries. <laughs> but, but I'm going to write the TikTok and the Instagram and the website. Um, so you can find Ramsey um, if you want to learn more about what he does. Super cool guy. I'm so excited to be friends with him now. <laughs> and I'm also interested, like, because I want to know what's resonating. So for anyone who's listening to this, if you can share what your biggest takeaway was, oh. that would be fantastic. Just Ooh, in the comments that. or in the notes so that I can know what's resonating. And um, feel free to ask questions in the comments. And, you know, maybe you can reach out to me for another podcast of what that. people may have follow-ups. Ooh. Yes, that is so good because Ramsey and I already decided like we have way too much. Like, guys, I didn't even share like half of what this guy does. Like, <laughs> not even didn't even scratch the surface. So like, he's gonna have to come on another podcast. So um, there will be um, more. And so if there's something you want to hear more on, we can talk about next time. Um, please, please um, DM me or comment or you know however you know you guys know how to find me um just let me know because that that would be really fun to do like a Q&A podcast um with Ramsey Ramsey's out of Phoenix um we're in his home right now um so he's local to Phoenix for all the Phoenix listeners um really cool guy thank you so so much Ramsey you're just the coolest um and uh, if you uh, like this podcast, please go to the top right and subscribe. It helps me make sure you don't miss any future episodes, and it makes sure y- it helps you make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Salt to Sugar. You're officially one step closer to becoming your best self. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Remember, you are not alone. For more information or to connect with Kelsey, you can find her on Instagram at Kelsey Pete. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.